Hey, God, are you there? Are you interested in what I'm thinking? Are you on my side? Do you even care about me? Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 83rd episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. Biblical Detail, Historical Context that puts you in the action. We long to know and connect with God, but we don't seem to know how to do it. We often find ourselves getting stuck. And while connecting with God isn't necessarily difficult, we should understand that knowing Him will come with a costly choice. There are two things that you might want to know before making the choice to move forward with God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy they certainly knew that in order to move forward in a relationship with God, they would need to make these two key decisions. Here's Paul's response. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. And as we pick up into today's episode, Silas and Timothy catch up with Paul, who has already made an impression in Athens. You see, they're on a mission because they have fully committed themselves to the God life. And with that, let's get started. You want to take a break right now? Timothy asks while gesturing over a hill. But we're almost there. Looking in the direction where Timothy is pointing, Silas only sees more hills. He looks back at Timothy and shakes his head. Seriously? he asks with a hint of sarcasm. No, Timothy says mischievously. This time I mean it. He climbs up a small berm to get a better view of the valley ahead. There it is. I can even see the sea in the distance. Fine, Silas grumbles. Just give me a couple of minutes. Changing the subject, Timothy comments, I hear Athens is a huge city. Have you ever been there? Silas grunts as he sits. He then leans over to pick up a stick and begins removing some of its offshoots. Stretching out his neck, he finally replies, This entire trip is an unchartered adventure for me. I was just hanging out with the guys in Jerusalem before making this expedition. In retrospect, he wonders aloud, I haven't been much of anywhere. Timothy nods and asks, So, do you think it'll be easy to find Paul once we get there? Silas chuckles and says, Shouldn't be too hard. We just need to look out for an angry mob chasing after a little bald guy. Othello, a man calls out from behind him. Showing little interest in the distraction, Othello continues to instruct his small group. The voice calls out again, though this time it's much louder and not far away. Othello! Othello rolls his eyes, but remains dedicated to the young men in front of him. The issue in this matter is that the husband abandoned all reason in this moment of unrestrained. Now immediately behind him, the man calls out while tapping him on the shoulder. Othello! What, Ezio? What? Othello snaps as he abruptly turns to face him. What can you possibly want right now while I'm teaching? You're like a gnat that hovers around my nose and ears. You just won't go away. Ezio steps back. 
My good stoic friend, he says, so much for maintaining virtue in your moment of unbridled passion. The group around them laughs. So controlled, you stoics, as he amuses. Small wonder the city doesn't swarm to hear your every word. Othello sighs and asks, What do you want? Assessing the group, Ezio replies, Would you excuse us for a moment, gentlemen? We'll be just but a minute. Grabbing Othello by the shoulder, Ezio then says, Walk with me. I want you to see something happening right now. What are you doing? Othello says. Look, Ezio begins, I realize that we have different takes on our worlds, but you and I are in the same business, yes? Yeah, Othello agrees, but Ezio interrupts. You and I are both sponsored, so I think we may wish to keep an eye on anything that might threaten our business, agreed. Othello shakes his head and says, Ezio, I don't think about it that way. Oh, I know, you're altruistic and pure. Ezio dryly responds, as they walk towards what appears to be a crowd in the distance. Yet you happily take a paycheck, yes? Yes, but Othello begins before they find themselves standing behind a crowd. Now distracted by the mess of people around them, Othello gestures to Ezio and asks, What is this? What's happening here? This, Ezio gestures in return, is our problem. What are you talking about, Othello asks. What does this have to do with us? Look more carefully, Othello, Ezio responds. Who do you see gathered here? Unable to make out the teacher from the midst of the crowd, Othello then begins to carefully look at those who make up the crowd. Wait, he says, isn't that a pupil of yours? My faith in you as an observant man has been restored, Ezio responds with a smirk. Well, there's another one of yours. Othello keeps studying the crowd. Wait, what is he doing here? Ezio smiles as Othello begins to realize that he isn't the only one losing out. There's another, Othello counts, and another. What are my protégés doing here? They were scheduled to be with me today. And there's the rub, Ezio says with an eyebrow raised. Othello stares in disbelief. These are some of my best students. Where am I, friend? Where, Ezio retorts. Finally, Othello turns over to Ezio and asks, What is happening here? Why are we losing students to this teacher? He then looks deeper into Ezio's eyes and asks, What is he teaching? All in good time, Ezio responds. All in good time. I like to sit here while I eat, Paul says, after breaking off a small piece of bread smothered in olive oil. Chewing, he takes in the activity of the marketplace around them and continues... From what I can tell, this is where all the action is. Silas elbows Timothy and says, See, I told you we wouldn't have a problem finding this guy. Timothy smiles and says, Yes, you said it, but I was half expecting to arrive and see Paul fleeing out from the city gates with a thousand men chasing after him. Paul laughs and slyly replies, You're early. Just wait until the Sabbath. Hey, have you been to any of the synagogues yet? Silas asks. Pointing with his head in a general direction, Paul says with a full mouth, Yeah, on one hand, they were pretty civil with me. Like I said, nobody's run me out of town. Yet. He chews and begins to wonder why. But they're different here, he continues. It's like the Jews and Greek converts here are accustomed to, well, many worldly points of view. Pretty subdued. Thoughtful, but subdued. 
not the passionate type like we've seen before in Thessaloniki or Berea. The three sit, chew, and observe the activity happening all around them. By the way, Timothy, Paul continues, I still need an update from you with what's happening in Thessaloniki. Yeah, Timothy responds. You going to stick around long enough for me to share? Touche, Paul responds with a laugh. People are just, well, different here than they are in Thessaloniki. It's like they hear so many crazy ideas and perspectives that folks feed off of anything that's new. They will rush to teachers who have new ideas, drink in all of what they have to offer, but it's like they get bored and move on to the next new idea. That's what happened just yesterday. I had a huge crowd gathered around me to hear more about Jesus, but will they return? I have no idea. Even if they're hungry for more, it's only for a little while. Why? Because eventually they'll look for something new again and run off to learn from those teachers for a time. I almost feel like my teaching is seen as some sort of commodity for these people. That's it, Paul Reason allows. I'm like a merchant or a form of entertainment for them. Do they have too many options? Silas asks. Paul touches his nose. Yeah, he says. I think that's part of it. Too many variant interests to distract them from being committed to any one idea, Paul further moles. I wonder what would happen with any of the believers here when life takes a difficult turn. Would they abandon ship, take up yet another interest, or would they stay the course and continue after Jesus at all costs? In Thessaloniki, they have been severely persecuted, but that has served as a fire to remove the unwanted gunk from their faith. Here, I just don't know. It's pretty much live and let live, and like a drunk that can't stay away from his next bottle, they move on to their next enticement. It's like they're addicted to anything new. Shaking his head in confusion, Paul turns to Timothy and says, Timothy, before I say anything more, please tell me what has happened in Thessaloniki. Another low turnout today, hmm? Ezio asks a fellow who appears defeated. Alas, for me as well, he says with a sigh. I'm a little bit at a loss of what to do here. What is inspiring our own tried and true to follow him instead of us, Othello asks. Tried and true? Ezio laughs at this. This is Athens, he quips, and then changes the subject. Do you know what he's teaching? A little, Othello confesses. I've heard a few ideas so far. Okay, Ezio says, encouraging him to go on. Well, he teaches about a strange god, the Jewish god, Othello says. Good grief, Ezio sighs. He's Jewish. Well, kinda, Othello says. He's been teaching about the God of the Jews, but he keeps on sharing as if something just happened. How just a few years back, this Jewish God became a man. He says this God-man performed many miracles while teaching around Jerusalem in that part of the world. Superstition and supernatural, Ezio exclaims with fatigue in his voice. How much longer do we need to raise the facade about all of these made-up gods? Othello laughs. Made-up gods? Tell that to your sponsors who chase after these made-up gods, Othello says while pointing at Ezio's chest. No, no, but what he's teaching is far different than anything I've ever heard come from the Greeks, or the Jews for that matter. He shared how this god-man was being offered to rescue the Jews, but that the Jews rejected him and killed him. 
I don't get it, Ezio smirks and comments. His own people had him killed, huh? What kind of god can't overcome the passions of man? Doesn't sound like much of a god at all. Even as a man, it doesn't sound like he lasted very long. Something like that, Othello says. But that's not the craziest part. This teacher is claiming that this god-man has been raised from the dead and is now alive again. Really? Interesting, Ezio says as his eyes get wider. So is this guy saying he met the god-man? I don't know, Othello says. Is he saying that this immortal god-man is still in Jerusalem, hanging out around the Jewish temple? Ezio asks. Again, Othello shares. I don't know. Curious, Ezio wonders aloud. The god-man defies death and lives among his people. You're right, Othello. This is quite different than what we've heard from the Jews. Well, we're going to stop here for today. While Paul was making headway in Athens, he realized that his preaching wasn't getting quite the same traction or rejection as it had in other cities. While many showed interest, they didn't seem to stick around for long. Why? Too many options? Too many offerings that would easily lure people away before getting into the deeper matters of faith? Was Athens a culture that had become obsessed with whatever is modern and new? Or maybe Athens was an academic culture, ever prodding and poking at an impartial distance. Yes, I'm deeply interested in learning about this God of the Jews, one might offer, but not enough to get my hands dirty. Whatever the cause, Athens would not become an epicenter of the Christian faith, at least not for another 70 or so years. This Athens attitude has permeated itself throughout Western Europe over the past two centuries. It has also made its way stateside as we have undergone our own turbulent 70-plus year cultural shift. While there are so many reasons that factor into the cultural changes that have taken place here in America, we have nonetheless come to regard Christ followers and Christendom as a whole as yet another interest group to consider a commodity to be consumed. That from the perspective of those outside of the church, they might find themselves asking, what does your church offer that my interest group over here doesn't? I can literally find thousands of clubs, travel clubs, woodworker clubs, RV clubs, book clubs, ski clubs, work communities, etc. that offer fun community environments, activities, opportunities for personal growth, skill set development, etc. just like a church. Which leads us to this big question. What is so special then about the church that it can offer me anything worth my time? If framed this way, we may not be able to come up with a great response, so we need to make some key assumptions about what the church is and what it means to enter into a life with God, the God life. Now, assuming the church is the bridge between humanity and God, and assuming that the church has been created to be the current representation of God in the world around us, which is, by the way, how Jesus set things up, What do we need to consider when we desire to connect with God? What does it take to enter into the God life, and what will keep us from doing so? Well, here are just two thoughts to consider for today. Number one, we're saved to serve. We are saved to serve. The church really isn't just meeting my needs, you know? We may find ourselves saying or thinking this when we're frustrated from time to time. 
maybe it's a boring sermon, or maybe it's we're just not fond of the music, or maybe we've been ignored or our ideas have been bypassed. Whatever the reason, we use this as an excuse to keep from getting involved. So we condition our participation based on how much satisfaction we think we might get out of something. But if this is the attitude, then you're right. The church is little more than an interest group. But that's not what the church is about. That's not the God life. Unfortunately, serving habits aren't formed from thinking that way. What's more is that we will occupy ourselves with other things that oftentimes will have little eternal significance. And in going after them, we end up missing out on the God life. Now, make no mistake, we always serve something. And in most cases, we serve our self-interests at the peril of others around us. But God has other ideas of how we should carry out our lives. To enter into the God life requires that we put aside our own interests and serve Him alone. Only in doing so will we be free to begin living as we have been designed to live. To enter into the God life, we must choose whom we serve. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. Joshua 24.15 No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's Jesus out of Luke 16. Or you can actually insert self-serving interest in exchange for the word money. So we either choose to live for God and trust that he will open up a new way of experiencing life by faith, that is, the God life, or we continue to serve ourselves and miss out on the God life altogether. Granted, there are leaders out there who are better at empowering folks to engage and get more involved than others. But nevertheless, we are still saved to serve, no matter the environment that we're in. We have been saved to serve within the body of Christ, God's family. That's what the church is to be, a body of people who serve Christ's directed goals. Jesus, the God-man, you know, the Redeemer and hope for all humanity, he made serving his own priority. Jesus said it this way, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, serving should be the same priority for us as it was for Jesus. Paul says this in Romans 12, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to serve him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, should we choose to live the God life, we enter into a world where we see that serving one another is not only a good thing, we see it as something we long to do because we get to be used by God. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. 
Paul says that in Galatians 5. Want to experience life as God has designed? Want to see God work in you? Want to have that God life? Serve. Want to get out of your depression and isolated funk? Serve. Want to make an eternal impact on those who have yet to be transformed by Jesus? Serve. Because you have been saved to do just that. Serving unlocks the doors to seeing others as God sees them. Serving others swings open the gates to a future journey with God. Serving others moves us into the God life. The second thing to consider, we are 21st century Jesus. To be sure, the church is about community, but it's so much more than that. The church is about each of us coming together to reveal Jesus on the earth. That's wild, right? We are contributing members of the family of God, and much like a body has contributing members and systems to function in a healthy way, so does the family of God. It's not by accident that Paul teaches how the church is like a body. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, he says this, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Later on in 1 Corinthians, he says this, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Made up of many unique members serving unique roles, we see the body functioning together united under the leadership of Christ. Ephesians 4, this is what Paul says here, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And while one function of a family is to protect and extend care among its members, it also functions as a catalyst for inspiration, modeling, instruction, and empowerment for its members to function as God desires. When the church is healthy, it discovers and places the parts of the body into the right roles so as to show the world Jesus today in the 21st century. Yes, the church has other functions to it, but I think you get the idea. To enter into the God life requires a commitment to serve Jesus and participation in the family of God so that we may reveal Jesus today in the 21st century. The God life awaits you here. And I just want to close it up this way. If you're not plugged into a local fellowship, you're really missing out. So please consider joining us on Monday nights or get plugged in in a local church. We are a local family of believers who want to experience the God life by revealing Jesus here in the 21st century in our community around us and to each other. So may you experience the God life as God has designed for us before the foundations of the world. May you be a part of a family of Christ followers who are devoted to serving one another and the world around them. And with that, let's move forward together. Thank you.